Welcome to the Beyond the Box Score podcast, brought to you in part by Fast Model Sports. In this episode, I interview Coach Ryan Cardock. He's the Director of Player Development at South Florida. Coach, how's it going? Doing great. Thanks for having me, David. No problem. Coach, you want to give yourself a brief introduction to our listeners? Absolutely. So, for me, you know, obviously I'm from uh, Broward County, South Florida area, played high school basketball down there, played at a junior college in Broward County for two years, Fort Lauderdale area at Broward College, went on to play at University of South Florida as a walk-on from 2008 to 2010. Then I took a few years off, went down to University of Miami as a graduate assistant coach for Coach Laranega, really learned a ton there. Obviously, he was the Nate Smith Coach of the Year at one point and has been to a Final Four and a couple of Elite Eights. So really, really great coach to learn from. After that, I went uh, with one of our assistants who was at Miami to Bowling Green, uh, was the video coordinator there for a year. And then I did director of operations for three years. After that, went on to be an assistant at James Madison and was there for one year and then went to Parish Community High School. It was my first opportunity as a head coach, really great experience there, had some really good young men and uh, had some, some good success there as well. And then now I'm currently at the University of South Florida as the Director of Player Development. Awesome. Talk about growing up in Florida. Um, you know, well, I, I was in Florida my whole life, and then I moved to Ohio, and it was quite a shock for me uh, going to that cold. But growing up in Florida was, was awesome. You know, obviously there's a lot of really good athletes in this state. And, um, you know, for me growing up in, in the Broward County, Miami-Dade area, a lot of good good talent down there, played on a, an EYBL team that was pretty solid. I think we had 11 or 12 guys go to Division One from that team. So, you know, just love basketball, um, played it since a young age, just always had a passion for it. And obviously that's why I'm still in it today coaching. But Florida has been awesome. You know, I, I went obviously to Ohio and Virginia but I really love the state. You know, I have so many connections here, know so many people from growing up here and then obviously living in, in Tampa for some years and having gone to school at USF. So for me, Florida is, is what I consider home. You, know, you mentioned you went the JUCO route starting your college career at Broward Community College. What made that the right move for you and who was your head coach back then? So for me, coming out of high school, you know, I thought I had a pretty good senior year. I think I averaged like maybe 17, 6, and 5, and we had a pretty good team. We had a guy go to Florida State. He was a top 50 player in the country, and then another guy who was also a, a Division II player. So we, we had a pretty good team overall, um, but I think the reason why I kind of went to the junior college, just to be quite honest, was – I didn't really have the division one scholarship offers that I was looking for. So I had a lot of D2, D3, NAIA stuff, but for whatever reason I had in my mind that I kind of wanted to go D1. Um, looking back, that's probably not the smartest, you know, thought for young people, but that's what I was thinking at the time. So I ended up going to Broward College, which was a fantastic experience because in Florida, as you know, David, the JUCO basketball is really, really good. And um, so I, I learned a lot playing at that level, played for a guy named Bob Starkman, who was uh, a coach who really pushed us and, and made us work extremely hard. So I really learned a lot about physical and mental toughness and pushing through things being there. But Broward was a great experience for me, for sure. 
Yeah, we've had Bob Starkman on here, and I wasn't sure if you guys overlapped or not when he was there, but now um, definitely knows the stuff. Yep. And talk about your JUCO experience, what it was like, who were some of the notable players you went up against and played alongside? Yeah, so we um, we had a pretty good team uh, both years that I was there. I think we won 20 games both years and um, had a couple guys go to Hofstra, had a guy go to Kansas State. So, you know, we had we had some players on those teams for sure. And what I thought about the JUCO that was that was impressive to me was just the athletes. You know, JUCO is a different style of basketball where it just really goes up and down, uh, high scoring. And there's a lot of really good players. It, it, you know, sometimes obviously it's great. Sometimes it's other things, opportunities. But uh, it stood out to me like how good junior college basketball is and it really opened up my mind because if you know if you haven't seen junior college basketball and you're not familiar with it you think okay maybe these guys are not that good but as we know there's been junior college players who have went on to you know obviously really good division one schools and then made it to the nba or played professionally or things like that so for me it's just that athleticism and the toughness and grit of junior college and i think you know, it made me a better player. And in turn, I think it made me a better coach too, just having seen some of those guys and having understanding of that style of basketball. Talk about your experience at South Florida. Um, you know, who were some of the guys on staff? Who were some of the players you stayed in touch with? And what made that the right uh, school for you? Yeah, so coming out of Broward, uh, you know, I had some different options. But for me, I, I kind of wanted to try to challenge myself to play the highest level so that's why I ended up going to USF and uh, played for coach Stan Heath who really gave me that opportunity and, and I owe everything to him for for that opportunity um, you know defensive minded coach gonna get after it as far as on the defensive side of the ball hard-nosed coach gonna make you play hard and all those kind of things so really enjoyed playing with him um, playing for him we had a guy by the name of Dominique Jones who was actually the leading scorer in the Big East at the time. And he really carried us in a lot of games. Um, you know, he, he was a phenomenal player, phenomenal scorer, ended up being drafted by the Mavs, playing professionally still. I think he's in his 13th year now or 12th year playing professionally, some NBA, some overseas. But there was just so many good players in that league at the time. You know, you had Kemba Walker, you had Lance Stevenson, you had Hashim Thabit, who was the top pick. Um, just a lot of top picks, a lot of really good players, and a lot of really good coaches, too, because, you know, you had Louisville with Patino there. You had Calhoun at UConn. You got Syracuse in the league. You got Notre Dame in the league. So, in my opinion, that's one of the best leagues that there ever was in college basketball. And it was just an honor to be able to play in it, even though, you know, being a walk-on, I, I didn't play 25, 30 minutes a game probably average maybe eight to 10 minutes a game, but still having the opportunity to play as a walk-on and be in that league was, was really great for my career and, and my life. You majored in finance, graduated in 2010, and you went on to be a graduate assistant uh, at Miami under Jim Laranega, like you mentioned. Um, and that was his first season there in the Sunshine State. How did you get connected? And did you always know that you wanted to be a coach or was it a way of paying for your master's? Um, well, funny story, actually, I kind of paid part of the way uh, for my master's. So it was more for the opportunity. I knew Coach L was a really good coach. 
um, Coach Heath had actually been connected with Coach Larinaga because they had worked together in the past. So I got in touch with Coach Caputo, who's a great guy, head coach at George Washington now. And him and I spoke, we kind of hit it off, talked to him a lot about player development, some different thoughts I had there. And I ended up going down there, obviously, and, and working with those guys. And it was really the reason I went there was because I knew that they were really good coaches and I wanted to learn from them. And Coach L, I mean, obviously, he's been to the Final Four, a couple of lead eights. And um, he just he, he knows the game of basketball really well. And the one thing that he does an amazing job of is the psychology of the game. He, he can get every ounce out of a player and really knows how to get the best out of guys, which has taught me a lot and hopefully helped me do the same with some of the players that I've coached. Now, you know, the team really did surpass expectations and prove that Coach L could coach at the high major level um, in case anyone had doubted him which I'm sure people in the media did. And you guys were able to make the basketball program more relevant than what was historically known as a football school. How did that feel? And talk about the change in landscape uh, at the U back then. Yeah, well, I think Coach L really just came in and set the tone for what he wanted, right? Obviously, having been at George Mason, um, you know, making a Final Four there, and doing great things and then trying to carry some of that of what he did there to Miami and really what it was is he, he does an amazing job with people that that's his strongest suit obviously he's a good basketball coach he knows his X and O's but he's just really good with people he knows how to get the best out of them and it's just he uses psychology so well so I'll just give you a quick example of a time in practice that I witnessed him and I was like, wow, this guy is really a great coach. And it was a time where we had a big guy on the team who was seven foot, probably about 250 pounds, really good defender, couldn't shoot it very well, but really did everything else excellent. And one time in practice, he shot a mid-range jumper and he wasn't a great shooter and he missed it. And uh, kind of go a couple more possessions and he shoots another jumper, right? And he misses it again. And then we go through practice and maybe towards the end of practice, he, he shoots another like elbow jumper. And so Coach L, you could tell that he was frustrated with this guy shooting jump shots, but he didn't show it, right? Like, I guess you couldn't even tell. You knew in your mind that he was probably thinking this guy shouldn't be shooting jump shots, but he didn't show it like from a nonverbal, you know, standpoint with his body language or anything like that. So he, he blows the whistle. He, he has this whistle. He doesn't really blow it. He has this whistle that he does. You can actually hear it on TV um, if you're watching games. And he stops the practice and he says to the guy, look, you are the biggest, baddest, strongest guy in this gym. You bench 350 pounds. You weigh 250 pounds. You're seven foot tall. The next time you catch that ball in that position, I want you to rip it and dunk on that guy's head, right? And so I thought to myself, okay, wow, that's that, that's really good. Like, he's right. But the more I thought about it was what he told them in a way was, look, man, stop shooting all these jump shots and go get to the rim, right? But he made the guy feel really good instead of telling him, look, you stink at shooting, stop shooting jumpers. He turned it into a positive and told him what he should be doing from a driving standpoint. And all of a sudden the guy didn't, you know, 
feel any tension at all. He thought, oh, wow, I really should be driving this. I'm a great driver. I can get to the rim. So that's just the psychology of Coach L and just a brief example of what he does with players to get the best out of them. Definitely need to add that one to my toolbox. I like that. It's great stuff. Michael Huger's named the head coach at Bowling Green in 2015. He hired you to be the video coordinator. Was there any chance you were going to try and work your way up at Miami, or was there a discussion that that was really the correct move for you? For me, I think that was the correct move because I really actually wanted to be a video coordinator. I haven't been a GA. You know, I did a lot of on-court stuff and then a lot of video and scouting, and I really wanted to kind of take on a bigger role as far as the video. And I knew that it was a great position for me as well because I could learn a lot. And as coaches, you know, the more you watch film and the more you can kind of learn different types of tendencies on offense and defense, the better coach you become at the end of the day. So for me, you know, I would be in that office from, you know, 8 a.m. to 9 p.m., just watching film, breaking it down, learning, um, doing the scouting reports, all that kind of stuff. So for me, it was a no-brainer. And Coach Huger and I had a good relationship at Miami. Uh, we had a really good connection. We used to play pickup ball together on Saturday mornings. Um, I would take them to the airport here and there. We used to just, you know, have chats and things like that. And so for me, it was like I really could have an opportunity to learn and get better and go with someone I trust. So I ended up going to Bowling Green, and I think it was a great decision because I really did learn a lot, and I felt like I did contribute positively to the program and help it get better as well. Looking back on it, do you feel like those trips to the airport might have been, you know, like pre-interview questions or some sort of interview for if he got a head coaching job? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think it's a great thing to keep in mind for young people who are in the business, whether it be student managers or GAs or even players, you know, the, the better job that you can do when you're that age and you're, you're potentially having an influence on someone who could hire you later on, it's important. And so, you know, when I would drive him to the airport, I was never late. A lot of times he would like the 6 a.m. flights, 7 a.m. flights. So I would have to get there at 4 or 5 a.m., I was always 15 minutes early waiting outside, helping him with his bags. And then, you know, just trying to feel like he is more of a talkative guy in the morning, but sometimes people aren't. So you got to have that good social awareness to decide like, okay, am I going to converse with this guy a lot, ask him questions, or is he busy doing some work? And so for me, you know, him and I just would always have different conversations about family, about basketball and things like that. And in some ways, like you said, it, it definitely was almost like an interview process for that position at Bowling Green. Fast Model is the premier company in basketball software. Whether it's finding the perfect drills, plays for your teams, or creating customized scattering reports and practice plans, Fast Model is a must-have for coaches of all levels. Your players will have sets available on their computers and mobile devices. Whether you use Fast Draw or Fast Scout, if you want to be an elite coach, then you need to use elite software. And Fast Model is a one-stop shop. Be sure to check out FastModelSports.com and use the promo code BOXSCORE for 15% off your purchase. BOXSCORE, all capital letters, B-O-X-S-C-O-R-E. Falcons had success under Chris Jans in his loan season there. Were you guys able to retain most of the players and recruits when you guys were hired, or was it scramble mode, just trying to get players? 
it was a little bit of scramble mode, to be honest with you. And um, that's why I think the, the first year or two was kind of a rebuilding year for us. And then you see us in year three and four really make those jumps. And in year four, 22 wins, I believe it was, MAC championship. Uh, we lost in the MAC championship, but we got there, had a lot of success overall. But I think that that first year was just kind of like a big re rebuild. We had some guys transfer. Some of the players were a different style of players that, than we were looking for as far as how they played. Um, so we kind of had to reboot that thing a little bit and change it around. And Jan's obviously a really good coach, but different styles like that, you still have to kind of restart a little bit. You served as a Dobo for three seasons, um, including uh, you served as Dobo for three seasons, including a stint as the interim assistant coach from February to July of 2018. Talk about your role changes, you know, starting off as a video coordinator, then Dobo, and then kind of an interim assistant coach in the middle of the season. Yeah, so for me, you know, it was, it was interesting at Bowling Green because I did obviously a lot of different positions and started off with that video and then transitioned to ops. And even my second year as ops and third year, you know, I had a lot, lot more responsibility than that first year. I had a guy on staff with me named Kevin Noon, who was the director of ops. And he got bumped up to assistant coach when one of our head coaches got a, I mean, one of our assistant coaches got a head coaching job. So it was helpful for me to have him on staff because he kind of walked me through a lot of that operation stuff. So I was really appreciative of that. Um, but as far as the operations position, I thought, you know, we just, I just try to bring some creative ideas to the table. And we ended up bringing on a life coach. We ended up, doing some different things and teaching guys about leadership. I thought that was one area that was very helpful that I brought to the table. Um, we created kind of a leadership program with this life coach that we had, and we called it essentially real leadership. And we would work individually with guys about this real leadership that was an acronym for our reject passivity and irresponsibility. And the E was for exhibit character and integrity. The A was appreciate connectedness and transparency. And the L was lead heroically and enthusiastically. And so we kind of implemented that. And I thought it kind of started transitioning us as far as from a player perspective to take accountability, to you know push themselves, to hold each other accountable. And really a lot of it was becoming a player-led team, whereas we know player-led teams are always better than, than coach-led teams. Um, and then that kind of, you know, as far as when I was insisting the interim assistant at Bowling Green, you know, I had that relationship with the players already. I, I had a lot of trust and respect from them. So it was easy for me just to kind of slide in and, and do the coaching thing as well. Do you guys feel like you had a case for a postseason tournament that final year at Bowling Green? I know sometimes uh, you know, for the CBIs and CITs, you know, you got to pay money to host it. And so that comes into play, but did you, do you feel like you guys had a case that final year? For sure. Yeah. Unfortunately, we ran into Buffalo in that final, who was a top 25 team in the country and obviously won a couple games in the NCAA tournament. So that was, you know, a, a tough one. I mean, we played them pretty close most of the game. It ended up getting away from us a little bit at the end. But we actually got invited to some of those postseason tournaments. But it was a really long year for us. So we actually declined playing in them. But we did actually get invited in a couple of those. Gotcha. 
How excited were you to be a D1 assistant coach when Lewis Rowe calls you uh, from James Madison and offers you a job? I mean, the first time, you know, you're an assistant, you're, you're excited. You're extremely excited. You're thankful. Um, you know, it's kind of what you work for, right? Like you want to be on that court coaching. It's fun to go out recruiting and kind of be able to evaluate players, um, get a little bit more autonomy as far as decision making and things like that when you're an assistant. So for me, it was just a blessing. You know, I'm thankful to Coach Rowe that he gave me that opportunity. Um, and, you know, I really love those guys at James Madison and working with those players. I still talk to, to all those guys for the most part um, here and there. So it, it was it was great. Did the previous working relationship help you with serving Coach Rowe as an assistant or was the dynamic completely different with him as the head coach? It definitely helped me. Him and I already had that previous relationship, so I kind of knew him and what he was looking for. Um, so I just kind of try to, you know, be there to support him and kind of, you know, whatever he was needing, just try to be proactive in filling those those needs. And then, you know, he also gave me autonomy and trust to kind of do my own thing where I thought necessary because we had that relationship and he knew that, you know, I had a good basketball IQ and I could build trust with players and things like that. There's, there's an old adage, you're not really a coach until you get fired. Uh, he wasn't retained at James Madison. Um, obviously, the staff was let go as well. But you landed a head coaching job at Paris Community High School in Florida. Did you want to have head coaching experience or in your mind, were you considering not going back to the college level? Kind of what played into that decision? Because I'm sure you had some opportunities at the college level. Yeah, so it, it kind of all happened during COVID. Um, and at the same time, I actually had a newborn baby. So there, I had a lot going on. And for me, I did have some college opportunities, you know, and I just thought it'd be good to get back down to Florida. And this would be my, my time to get that head coaching experience. So I thought it was a great opportunity. They kind of kept reaching out to me about this opportunity at Parrish. And there's a new school, so you kind of be able to, you know, start it from the bottom, build your own culture, that kind of thing. My first year there, we didn't have any seniors. It was, it was only freshmen, sophomores, and a couple juniors. So I thought that was one of the best experiences of my coaching career. You know, you hear it a lot from coaches saying, go get that head coaching experience. There's nothing like it. I believe that to be true. You know, you got to put together practice plans. You got to be able to deal with the personalities. You got to be able to make adjustments in game, you know. And for me, I think that in those two years, I probably learned as much as I did any other time in my career. So the guys were great that I worked with as well. That makes things more fun. Obviously, we had a great group of players and um, they really improved. I thought they overachieved for the talent level that we had. And that's, you know, all credit to them. You talk about not having any seniors uh, that first season. You guide Paris to back-to-back district championships. Uh, team finished top six in the state for team GPA both seasons, which is impressive. Uh, you, you led the team to a 20-8 and eight record in 2022, making it the first 21 season in program history. I know winning with that first game made you the all-time wins leader in school history, but uh, you were the coach of the year for 4A, District 16, hearing all that, 
what accomplishment are you most proud of from your time at Parrish? Well, I would say I'm most proud of the impact that I had on, on those guys. And, and, you know, I think oftentimes we kind of wonder like how much impact we've had on people, but for whatever reason, those guys let me know how much impact that I had on them. And I was just so appreciative of that. I mean, it was, it was an unbelievable group of, of young men and they bought into the system. They did everything that we wanted them to do. And there was just so much love there, you know, from me to them and from them to me. So I think that that impact of teaching them, you know, discipline and mental toughness and physical toughness, but also how to play team basketball and work together was by far, you know, the best thing that you can do as a coach, right? Like to me, you know, obviously I want to try to accomplish my personal goals and keep moving up and be a head coach one day. But I know what's more important is affecting people in a positive way and, and making an impact that hopefully will make them better fathers one day, better husbands, and just better people in society in general. And that's really what I do it for at the end of the day. So I honestly would be happy coaching wherever it may be, as long as I can make an impact on people and change their lives. What was that moment you realized, oh crap, I'm the head coach. I'm not making a suggestion. You know, I'm making a decision. And talk about the difference in traveling here, you know, division one coach, then you go to riding golden chariots again. Talk about all that. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think your first game as a head coach is when you're like, oh, wow, I'm really making the decisions here. And, you know, our first game, I, I believe we got punched in the mouth early and we got down and then you're like, okay, well, I'm the head coach now. How do I get these guys to respond and be able to bounce back? And um, for me, that was definitely adjustment those first couple games, but then I started kind of figuring it out as we went on. And then to the second part of your question, as far as the travel and things like that, we actually traveled pretty well. We, we raised some money and, and did some other things so that we could, you know, have nice jerseys and travel well and all, all those kind of things. I think the biggest um, maybe eye opener for me was going back to that high school level, which I hadn't been at since playing high school basketball was the players just don't have the basketball IQ. Um, that college players do, right? Or, or professional players do, who I had been working with before. And I had to really break it down, which made me a much, much better coach because I had to break down some fundamentals that I hadn't had to break down in a long time and really teach guys the idiosyncrasies of the game, the, the small little details um, of rips, of, of shooting, of you know defense, whatever it may be, those small details were really, really important. And they, they just didn't know a lot of them. So I had to, to teach, teach, teach. And in turn, it made me a much better coach because I had to, to teach details that a lot of times are known already by higher level players. You're hired as the director of player development at South Florida on June 6th. How much pride do you take in coaching at your alma mater and how much has changed since your time as a student? You know, I take a lot of pride in it. Um, you know, having played here, I, I was given an opportunity by Coach Heath. And I feel like, you know, I was blessed to have that opportunity, right? It just, it just, I wasn't sure if I was going to have it. And I ended up having that opportunity as a walk-on. 
So for me, I think it's even more personal um, because I didn't know if I was going to have it. And, and I got to play college basketball at the division one level in the big East and at the university of South Florida, which was beyond a blessing. Um, but I just think that being, being here is, it's, it's crazy in some way because I didn't know if I have ever come back. Right. And I poured everything I had into it as a player. And now I'm trying to do that as, as a coach. And I'm trying to help these guys do things that I couldn't do. Right. And see things that, that I didn't see at the time. And it's uh, kind of nostalgic in, in a way. And it's just a beautiful thing being able to be here and, and uh, be a part of this. There's been a lot that's changed. There's new practice facility. There's, you know, the arena got redone. The school, to be honest with you, is a lot better academically than uh, than when I was there. So, I, you know, I think we were like top 50 in, in the country now as far as public schools academically. So that's really increased. Um, but there's been a lot that's changed. And then there's been other things that have been the same. You know, some of the people are, are still here um, from when I was here. So I, I just love being here. I, I'm so thankful and um, I'm happy to work with this group of coaches and players. And hopefully we can do some big things this year. Coach, talk about how nice it's been to be back within driving distance of your family the past few years. Yeah, that's been a great thing. So I actually recently had another child. Um, so I have two daughters now and one's about six weeks old one's two so having the opportunity to have my family come up and help with the girls has been fantastic and then my wife's family is from Tampa area as well so having both families come help with the kids has been great and then obviously you know they'll be able to come to games and things like that just being able to see them at holidays more often I've really enjoyed it it's been awesome what's it like being a girl dad Man, um, it, it's awesome. It's, it's a lot of fun. You know, I, I never thought I would have a bunch of girls like this. Obviously, I'm the only guy in the house surrounded by a bunch of women. I'm sure it'll be different once they hit puberty and, and all that good stuff and they get to become teenagers. But right now, it's just a ton of fun. You know, they just they love when I come home and they want to play with me. And uh, the, the youngest one, obviously, not as much. But the two year old, you know, wants to jump on the bed, wants to go for walks, wants to ride the bike. And just to see the joy in her face, you know, hanging out with me is, it's, it's an awesome thing. You've worked for some different head coaches over the years. What are some of the biggest things you've learned from each coach you've worked for? So I would say, you know, obviously Coach Laranega, I think we talked about it a little bit earlier. He's just really good with the psychology of people and understanding people and how to get the best out of them. So I would say that would be definitely number one from him. Coach Huger, excellent recruiter, just really good with people, very kind to people. And I think that's a, a trait that I try to, you know, have for myself now, just being respectful and truthful and kind to people. And then um, I would say Coach Rowe, just great recruiter you know, really good recruiter, just knows how to connect with people and, um, you know, establish relationships with players and families and coaches. So I would say that would definitely be for him. And then Coach Gregory, who I haven't been with that long, 
has uh, been known to be an excellent defensive coach. And I can see already in our workouts and, and, and practices and things like that, that he establishes uh, a dominance on the defensive side of the ball as far as the discipline, holding guys accountable, um, being active, all those kind of things. So he, he's really a good defensive coach. And I'm really excited to just kind of keep going throughout this season so I can continue to learn more from him on, on that regard. Good stuff. What are your ultimate coaching aspirations and, and what's your five-year plan? So I think we talked about it just a little bit earlier as far as my main goal is just to have impact on, on people. And I think that's at the forefront is to really just have an impact on, on young men and try to help them become the best they can be on and off the court. So that's always my main goal. It doesn't matter what level I'm at. You know, I, I can always do that. And that's why I think I'll be in coaching for a really long time is because I know that that's my purpose and I feel fulfilled when I'm helping, helping young people um, be all they can be. And then as far as a five-year plan, obviously that's out of my control. I want to continue to work my way up and hopefully be a head coach one day at the college level. That's my goal. But if I fall short and I don't get there, I know that um, I'll be impacting a lot of people's lives throughout the way. So, you know, you've probably heard it before. It's all about the journey and enjoying every step, you know, every place you're at, every moment, every day. Just enjoy it and have fun while you're doing it. No doubt. Coach, before I forget, what's your best Chris Caputo story? <laughs> um, I don't know if I have one in particular. He's, he's a heck of a guy, heck of a coach. Um, I mean, he's just always on the phone, always moving. I mean, he's got those headphones in all the time talking to somebody. I mean, I, I imagine in his contact list, there's 30,000 people because that guy just knows everybody. And um, him and I just built a great relationship. He's great at player development. He helped uh, Angel Rodriguez, Sheldon McClellan, a lot of those guys become all they could be down at Miami. He, he was a big part of all that success down there. Um, but him and I, you know, have a great relationship and I don't know if I have one particular story, but, um, he's just, a, just a good guy and, and a good coach. Coach, we've come to the start bench cut segment brought to you in part by fast model sports. I'm going to give you three things. You start one bench one and cut one Nike Adidas under armor. I'll start Adidas since we're in Adidas school. I'll, um, what was the second one? Start bench and sit yeah and cut 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 okay then i would say we'll bench nike and we'll cut under armor okay cookout bojangles chick-fil-a i will start chick-fil-a bench bojangles and cut cookout okay fair enough blue chips hoosers he got game I'll start He Got Game, Bench, Hoosiers, and Cut Blue Chips. Okay, social media follows. Jeff Goodman, Jeff Brazello, John Rothstein. Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, start Rothstein, Bench, Goodman, and then Cut Brazillo. Who are three guests I should have on the podcast? That's a tough one. Um, I'll have to say maybe some of my my former uh, coaches that I worked for, 
So uh, Coach Heath from uh, he's at Eastern Michigan now. He'd be a good one. Um, Coach Larinaga from Miami, and uh, Coach Huger from Bowling Green would would be the three that maybe come to mind. Nice. What advice do you have for coaches either trying to get into the business or work their way up the ranks? I think the biggest advice I would have for people that are trying to work their way up the ranks or, or get in the business is enjoy where you're at, obviously, and enjoy the journey kind of as we talked about. But the biggest thing that you can do is just to have perseverance. If you stay in it and you just keep pushing and understand that you might go up a couple times the hill and then you might come down a little bit and then you just keep working your way to go back up a little bit higher. Eventually you may not get to your exact goal that you want to get to, but you'll get to a pretty high level and you'll impact a lot of people along the way. So just keep being perseverant. You know, don't get discouraged when you get fired or you don't get a position that you want. I mean, I'm telling you right now, everybody has went for dozens of positions that they haven't got, you know, myself included. There's been many positions that I've tried to go after and applied for that I didn't get. And that's everybody in this business, right? So as long as you just understand that you're just like a player would, you're going to just keep pushing yourself, pushing yourself, pushing yourself and being perseverant, then good things are going to happen for you in coaching. And you'll get, you'll just continue to grow to a higher level. And at the same time, keep it all in perspective that, you know, you're trying to help people along the way become the best versions of themselves. And that's really what it's all about. No doubt. If listeners want to get in touch with you, email, social media, what have you, what's the best way? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, um, Coach Ryan Cardock. And then you could also email me as well, rcardock at usf.edu. Coach, before I let you go, I, I want to let the listeners know uh, really some of your character and kind of how I, your first impression you made on me and um, why I think highly of you. It's June 2017, I reached out about a volunteer graduate manager position when you were at Bowling Green. And despite not being selected for the position, you took time to email me that you received my resume. And then despite the coach going in a different direction, you know, personally emailed me, it wasn't an HR type thing. You just emailed me and that, that genuine, sincere response, man, you will always have a fan in me, no matter where you are. And uh, man, I just, I think so highly of you when you got the job at JMU, I was so pumped for you and, you know, the high school head coaching and now seeing you back your alma mater, man, it, it's awesome. I couldn't be happier for you. And, you know, it's definitely one of those good things happen to great people. Well, I really appreciate those kind words. You know, I think I of you as well. Obviously you're a great guy trying to make an impact on people in a positive way and you're doing great things. So keep up the good work and, and thank you. Thanks for listening to the beyond the box score podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave reviews and rate five stars.